When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> the stables were never meant to save any pony. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome, once again, to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with K-Cat's Fallout Equestria. 
Oh, also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro made My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the wasteland. Chapter 14 Steel Hooves Explosions! The world around me was rent apart by a cacophony of violent light and bombastic sound, shocking heat following a roar beyond the might of thunder. The twilight darkness was annihilated by two bright brilliance. Time slowed to a crawl, as if a sensory overload was causing my own brain to lag. Fire and shrapnel tore at me, sparks of pain igniting all over my body. The roar that filled the world died with a high-pitched whine as I lost my hearing. I was rooted in place, unable to make my body move. Blood splattered across my face as the pseudo-goddess standing in front of me tore apart, the parts of her body savagely flung in every direction. I felt myself thrown to the ground. Velvet Remedy covered me with her body, her shield forming around us with aching slowness. I could feel a sickly warmth as her blood seeped down, mixing with mine. Only belatedly did I realise that I was not the one being attacked. The second pseudo-goddess was turning, wide-eyed as she brought up her own magical shield. But it was too late for her. The rapid-fire explosions that were killing Velvet and I by proximity were ripping directly into the creature. The pseudo-goddess's shield rippled, fluctuated and died before it could fully manifest. Then she too was consumed in a mutilating blaze. Time snapped back as the rain of explosions momentarily stopped. My vision was warped with afterimages of the creatures. Their obliterating bodies flash-burned into my sight. My eyes still heard nothing but a distant, nauseating buzz but now I could see the source of the massive attack. And I had seen this thing before. It was the poster from the recruitment centre, come to life before us. A pony completely concealed in grey steel armour. Even its tail. It was a mighty relic of the war. A steel ranger. A bright lamp on its forehead spotlighted its target, and the huge gun on the right side of the monstrous battle saddle began to fire again. But the last pseudo-goddess had been given plenty of time to bring up her shield as her sisters were slaughtered, and the explosions, which I now saw were metal apples similar to those I had used on the dragon, but only being fired at terrifying speed, detonated against her shield while she stood inside, looking cosy, unconcerned, and only mildly pissed. The flames illuminated her midnight blue coat and sickly green hair, and made her eyes sparkle like gateways to hell. Again, the Steel Ranger's grenade machine gun stopped, and now a large box on the left side of its battle saddle sprung open, unleashing two rockets which arrowed through the air towards the creature, leaving contrails of smoke in their wake. The pseudo-goddess merely lowered her head, a spark of light bursting from her horn. In an instant, the two rockets had reversed course. The Steel Ranger tried to step back, but there was no time. The rockets impacted directly into our would-be saviour the explosion tossing the massive body back down the hill. 
The grass erupted in smoke and dirt and flame as the tumbling body bounced over several mines before coming up to a stop, motionless and seemingly lifeless at the foot of the shack below. Velvet's weight bore down on me. We waited for the steel ranger to get up, and the world seemed to wait with us. When, after long moments, it did not stir, the pseudo-goddess strode forward towards it. I could hear her laughter, even though my ears could hear nothing but that awful ringing. In the back of my mind, I realised I must have been right. Telepathy paid a part in the pseudo-goddess's threat. See now how the so-called mighty alicorn hunter has fallen. The majestic and cruel voice of the pseudo-goddess purred in my head. The The goddess goddess will will be be most pleased. pleased. The impact of bullets created twin sparks on the pseudo-goddess's shield. Limping and bloodied from the storm of fire and shrapnel, Calamity strode forward. I could see his mouth moving. Undoubtedly, he was saying something snide and witty. The pseudo-goddess, or Alicorn by her own title, turned and snorted derisively. Calamity shot again to just as futile an effect. I shrugged my haunches, trying to tell Velvet Remedy to get off me, but she did not. Her body was warm, dead weight. I realised her shield spell had dropped and felt a surge of panic. I heaved, rolling her off and turned to find my beautiful companion unconscious, her hide flayed by shrapnel and bleeding excessively. With a flare of my horn, I opened one of her medical boxes and started pulling out what little supplies we had left. My heart screamed at seeing how little it was. I may have screamed too, but I couldn't hear. I pulled open the other, hoping for more, but all that was left in the second medical box was her dress, a bottle of buck, and the party-time mentals. The voice in my head roared. Velvet Remedy was counting on me. She'd die if I couldn't help her. I needed to be smarter right now. I needed to be better right now. I needed those mintals. The little memory orb rolled out and fell into the grass as I tore the tin of partisan mintals from her saddlebox and floated it to me. A craving hit me, and I had to force myself to only take one. Make them last. One would be... The world became so much brighter, clearer, cleaner. I was aware of each raindrop as it struck me. I was aware of each pain, each bleeding gash in my own body. My mind sped down pathways of thought. Once again, brilliant light burst all about us, this time carrying a choking stench of ozone as the alicorn summoned lightning from the thunderclouds and struck calamity to the ground. I turned, trying to cry out. But I had no voice. Or I did, but could not hear it. Calamity shuddered, twitching on the ground. He was not dead, not even yet unconscious, but he was in no condition to fight. The alicorn didn't seem to care. A malicious smile broke over her features, cold and wicked, as motes of pinkish-purple light ignited about her head, growing and shaping into magical arrows. I tried to get to my hooves, but my legs wouldn't work. A wave of felling nausea dropped me. I knew I too was suffering from loss of blood, and the ringing in my ears was shredding my sense of balance. But I also knew that Calamity and Velvet were about to die. So might I, but I would die saving them. And in sheer brilliance of mental enhanced acumen, I knew just how to do it. 
My telekinesis did not fail me, even when my body did. I brought about my sniper rifle to me as I simultaneously lifted the memory orb and floated it towards the alicorn, moving it so that it approached from her flank. I felt a pang of conscience risking something so precious to velvet. The pseudo-goddess turned, catching the movement out of the corner of her eye. She reacted before she recognised it, expecting a grenade, focusing her magic against it to send it hurtling back at me. The memory orb glowed softly as the alicorn touched it with focused magic. Her eyes went wide, her shield dropping and the forming cascade of magical arrows evaporating as the alicorn was lost inside the memory. Slipping into the targeting zen of sats, I lined up the headshot and pulled the trigger. No! Velvet Remedy intoned harshly, her voice sounding distant and muffled through the buzzing in my ears. She floated the tin of party-time mentals away from me before I had a chance to take yet another. I'd taken two already, one before killing Alicorn, and a second to stave off the massive depression that I knew would come when the first wore off. But I tried to come up with something that Velvet Remedy would buy. I was amazing now. I could talk anyone into anything. At least let me hold on to them. I might need them. And yet, somehow, I couldn't convince the most beautiful mare in the wasteland to let me keep a tin full of medicine. I'd administered the last of the medical potions to Velvet Remedy. The magical liquid seemed to work achingly slowly at closing her wounds. Now she was left with just healing bandages to aid Calamity and myself. We didn't have anywhere near enough, and she was still very weak from the loss of blood, and was having trouble standing. Calamity needed a medical brace to fix his leg. Velvet Remedy didn't want to risk a mending spell until it was properly set. More... He needed serious bed rest to recover from the lightning strike. There was one more. I had to wave Velvet Remedy back before I approached the unmoving armoured figure crumpled against the shack below. Harnessing my levitation, I could pass over the minefield safely. Velvet Remedy could not. Between the alicorn's thought words and the label my pitbuck had spontaneously given the shack, it didn't take partisan mental-induced smarts to realise that this had probably been steel hooves. The Great Alicorn Hunter. Meaning there were more of these. Possibly a lot more. The thought was frightening. Steelhoofs had exterminated two of them with a combination of surprise and epic firepower. It was by wits and luck that I'd killed the third before she slew us all. Last time, I'd needed a boxcar. These creatures were not invincible, but they were powerful and very hard to kill. The Metal Stallion, or... At least I was assuming Stallion, based on the form of the armour, had not moved since the battle. I crouched next to the fallen ranger, several of my bandages shifting and coming undone as I did so, my wounds oozing blood. Up close, the armour was even more impressive. It had its own air filtration system, complete life support, even mechanised drug injection. The damage from the rockets was far less than it had any right to be. Still, the armour had caved in at the point of impact, gruesomely crushing the pony inside. I tried to find a way to remove the helmet. If there was one, it was well concealed. But I found a jackpoint that would allow my pit buck to interface with the helmet's own arcane technology matrix. I pulled out a tool from my utility barding, already suspecting that the helmet included its own EFS and SATS equivalents, if not more. Whoever had designed the armour must have worked tail twined with tail alongside stable tech. Don't do that. 
The voice inside the helmet was low, rumbling, exceptionally masculine. I jumped back, startled. There was some pony alive in there. Fueled by party-time confidence, approached, trying to reassure him. I'm a certified stable tech pit buck technician. I lied, but only by a little. I'm sure I can help. No, you can't. The voice spoke, but the body still did not move. The helmet did not even turn to look at me. My armour took a crippling hit. Everything is offline. Medical, self-repair. The entire spell matrix has crashed. I sat back on my haunches, wincing as several sharp bolts of pain lashed up through my flanks. Can you? Without magical power, I cannot even move. I will die here. I am, truly, already dead. The low voice and the armour sounded resigned to the idea, and at peace with it. But I took them with me. And, if I'm not mistaken... I saved the stable-dweller. As a final act, it was a good one. I was taken aback. My overblown reputation. A deep discomfort stirred inside me. It wasn't right for other ponies to risk their lives for me, thinking of me as something special. I stared at the steel ranger, not dead, but paralysed. If the armour had no power, jacking into it wouldn't do any good. I looked back towards Velvet Remedy wishing I had actually taken some time to learn more about medicine from her rather than just relying on her skills. I contemplated lifting her over the minefield. Turning back towards the fallen, armoured pony. Okay, steel hooves, right? How did you? Oh, of course. Of course what? Shaking off the confusion, I continued. I'm bringing our medic over. Without another word... I turned and focused my magic on Velvet Remedy. She floated into the air with a shocked eep. She started to float through the air towards us. Little Pip, put me down. Minefield, I said, casually. Okay, move me, then put me down. A moment later, she had joined us. She gave me a ladylike knicker and turned to look over the armoured hunter. As I informed her of what she had told me, my mind flushed at the poster I'd seen upon the wall of Candy's clinic. You don't have to be a steel ranger to be a hero. Join the Ministry of Peace today. I looked at Velvet Remedy, knowing she must be familiar with the same poster from somewhere, and wondered if she was remembering it as well. You need not bother. Steelhooves insisted. There's nothing to be done. I've had a good gallop. Nonsense, Velvet Remedy neighed brushing off the Steel Ranger's morbidity. Now, we just have to get you out. No. The low, gravelly voice said again. Sorry? Velvet asked, confused. She had spent several minutes examining the armour, looking increasingly worried. Even if the armour protected you from burns and slashes, you've suffered a massive blunt force trauma. The internal damage could... As she spoke, she began to wrap the armour in a soft magical glow. Don't remove my armour. Velvet Remedy whinnied. Oh, please. I just went through this with calamity. I can't treat you if I can't see you. If you remove my armour, I will die. I blinked, gaping at him, eyeing the huge dent crushing into his side. I didn't possess Velvet Remedy's medical insight, but I could imagine the armour was the only thing holding him together. Velvet pulled back 
cancelling her spell. Well, that seems like a design flaw. The armour is meant to keep me alive. Steelhoof said, a little defensively. Open the armour plate over my left flank. Velvet Remedy did so, revealing a system for administering drugs and medical potions. Everything from buck to... I don't even recognise some of these drugs. Velvet said, in surprise. The armour has a doctor enchantment. If it was working, I would be fully healed already. I was still looking over the injection system, casually observing. It doesn't have a system for party... Little Pip! Velvet Remedy scolded, silencing me. I stepped back, cowed. I turned my mind from the drugs, instead focusing on the failure of the magically powered armour spell matrix. If this was a pit buck, I could easily... Wait! I blurted, already knowing exactly what to do. Velvet Remedy gave me a look. Little Pip? She hissed dangerously. I couldn't blame her. It had only been a second since I made that other observation. She didn't have any appreciation how fast I could think right now. If she did, maybe she wouldn't be so fast to take my party-time mentals away. No, I know how to fix him. I can restore power to the armour and reboot the spell matrix. I beamed. The suit designer obviously incorporated stable tech arcane technology. It's really not that different from fixing a pit buck. Velvet's expression softened. Well then, don't just stand there. She smiled, backing out of my way, careful not to move closer to the minefield. I trotted forward and came crashing back to reality. Recognition of my mistake mixed with the crushing depression that flooded me in the wake of Partitan Mentals wearing off. In a moment, I was stupid, ignorant and dumb. I, I, I can't, I moaned. But you just said, I don't have the tools. I felt like crying. The Steel Ranger was going to die, imprisoned in his armour, because I wasn't a certified stable tech pitbuck technician. My utility barding didn't include a spell matrix master key. Reluctantly, I admitted as much. Velvet Remedy walked to me, wobbling a little, still faint from loss of blood. She wrapped her tail over me, whispering comfortingly into my ear. A spell matrix master key? The voice of Steelhooves sounded hopeful rather than resigned. You might be able to find one in stable 29. We were going into another stable. I felt myself tremble at the thought, from apprehension more than physical weakness. I assumed Velvet Remedy had already rebound my wounds. Calamity limped up to me. Remember, little Pip, this isn't your stable. I nodded. I was still in the grips of post-PTM depression. I knew I wasn't in any condition mentally to be doing this. But Steelhooves needed the help, and we owed him. I've changed my mind. The Steel Ranger protested. I cannot allow you to go into a stable for me. His sense of hope had swiftly been squelched by a stubborn nobility that I both understood and rejected. I wasn't the only one. Oh, well then, come right over here and stop us, Velvet Remedy suggested, then added, Oh right, you can't. Your bedside manner is horrible. The voice from inside the armour reported. I looked at the three of us. We were in no condition to travel into unknown and likely hostile territory. Each one of us could barely stand. I won't tell you where the entrance is, Steelhoof said dissuasively. 
Calamity whinnied. Ponyhill cover marked stable 29. Neither felt like passenger wagon stop. Steelhoofs pointedly said nothing. Calamity leaned over and whispered. And Velvet Remedy thought there was nothing interesting under their passenger wagon. It took us much longer to reach it than I remembered. We were moving gingerly, avoiding marks of red on my EFS compass. Right now, I felt like a few rad roaches could finish us off. Calamity was flying, keeping all weight off his leg. He looked at the passenger wagon and announced too cheerfully, Well, I hope your levitation is back to its full impressiveness, little pip. Unless we find a flux regulator and no ponies top me. Moving that thing will be up to you. I laid down. I needed to focus fully on the passenger wagon. Sky bandit stages, I noted pointlessly. And that meant not diverting my energies to remaining upright. My horn lit up as I concentrated on the huge wagon. Magical power enveloped it. I pushed, converging all my will into moving the vehicle. My horn flared. A layer of overglow burst around it. The wagon began to rock, groaning. Sweat broke across my forehead. I began to have trouble breathing. Somewhere distant, Velvet Remedy was being concerned, but I blocked it out. A second layer of overglow erupted around my horn, and the whole wagon lifted several feet into the air and was shoved back onto the sidewalk. I let it down gently, then collapsed, exhausted. I could see the ponyhole cover. Yay. Sleep now. How long was I out? I asked, aghast. Long enough to get some much-needed sleep, Velvet soothed. I rested my eyes a little myself. We were in a short maintenance tunnel. On one end, a door led to even more maintenance tunnels that snaked all under Fetlock. On the other, three steps led up to the massive door of Stable 29. Calamity was standing on three hooves, his crippled foreleg lifted, and staring at the control mechanism. Well, this was a bust, he proclaimed. It looks like Stable 29 had never opened, and without an override password, it was unlikely that we would be getting in. Still, I went to work at it. My mind still felt sluggish, and I considered munching a mentel. Even the non-party flavour would help, but I didn't want Velvet Remedy or Calamity to think I needed them. I didn't. They just made me a better me. After invading the control system and thoroughly probing it, I found something interesting. I think I found a back door. Where? Calamity asked, looking up at the pony hole. Is it far? I shook my head. No, I mean into the system. A three-part key is required to bypass the normal security. What kind of key? Velvet Remedy questioned. Voice recognition. Three different voices are required. I informed them. Then, before any pony pointed out the fact that there were coincidentally three of us, I explained, It has to be the three right voices. What's being said doesn't seem to matter, just who's saying it? There was a very interesting backdoor at that. I wondered just what prompted such a design, and if all stables had the same security hole. Whose three voices? I thought a moment, and cursed at how slow my brain was. I, um... Then I remembered Stable 2's override code. CMC3BFF. I think I know. The first voice was the one that took the longest, simply because I didn't have a recording of it. Instead, we sat there, listening to DJ Pwn3 on the radio. 
waiting for his selection of songs to cycle through. For the first and only time, I was actually grateful that his radio broadcast had such a limited selection of music. Good evening, everypony. This is your humble host, DJ Pone 3, master of the airwaves. And it's just about time for me to turn in. But first, the news. Looks like our Wasteland Crusader from Stable 2 was an equal opportunity saviour. From the reports I'm getting, she and her companions helped out a bunch of raiders up at Shadow 2 for being enslaved and decimated by an attacking slaver army. And then, because you can't have cupcake without icing, she killed a dragon! Luna, damn it. Why wasn't it ever Calamity and his companions, or Velvet Remedy and her entourage? Don't know if I agree with you on this one, kid. Saving raiders? Some monsters deserve to be enslaved. Perfect. Also in the news, got another report of hellhounds attacking travellers in the wasteland between Manhattan and Philadelphia. Honestly, ponies, if you have to travel that way, just make sure you have a heavily armed escort. And if you don't, just don't. This has been a DJ Pone 3 Pony Survival Tip. Tune in for more tips in this series, including grenades aren't for eating and raiders do not want to be your friend. But first, is Sweetie Belle singing The Dark Days Are Over? I leapt up. Here we go, ponies! Back at the controls, I fed the voice pattern recognition spell the first few lines of the song, mentally noting to record the song for use if I had the deep misfortune of having to enter a stable for the third time. I followed with snippets of the two recordings. The override code for opening the stable door to stable 2 is CMC3BFF. Hello, my name is Scootaloo. You probably know me, since I am pretty famous, for my awesome performances at events like last year's Gallops, or maybe just as the founder of Red Racer. With a mighty hiss and a draconic groan of protest, the door to Stable 29 began to move. I turned to find Velvet Remedy walking past me to face the door. The gorgeous mare had donned her beautiful dress and groomed her mane. I shot a look to Calamity, who merely shrugged. Um, Velvet? The dress hid most of her bandages. We're meeting the ponies of another stable for the first time. We want to put our best hoof forward, she said, aristocratically. Especially if they've never had outside visitors before. We want to look like diplomats. Her eye moved to look towards me without turning her head. If you two went in first, we'd look like invaders. The vast metal door swung away, and Velvet Remedy stepped into Stable 29 regally and without hesitation. Calamity limped up to me as I watched her disappear inside. She's really something, ain't she? Yes, I said, feeling a little dumbstruck. I glanced at Calamity, who was staring through the door at Velvet. She... I did a double take. Calamity wasn't looking at Velvet Remedy. He was looking at her. Something broke in my brain. No! No, that was just... No! No? He asked, confused, his eyes not leaving her haunches. I stammered, recovering. No, not... No, I mean... Yes, yes she is. She's... Mine. Damn it! This was not fair. I loved Velvet Remedy. I had long since Calamity had ever met her. Yes, yes, I knew I didn't actually have a chance with her, 
but she was her and I was just me. I don't knew all about swinging barn doors, but ah! I took the mental image of Calamity successfully wooing Velvet Remedy when I could not and shoved it into a deep dark hole. Then I filled that hole. Then I built a house on top of that hole and moved into it. I focused, instead, on the pristine but extremely gloomy interior of Stable 29. At first glance, it looked perfectly preserved. A gasp from Velvet Remedy shattered that illusion. Velvet was backing away from the remains of a skeleton dangling overhead from part of the door mechanism, its midsection pulverised. Velvet wavered, looking about to faint. I grimaced, looking to Calamity, who rushed over to steady her. This was an ominous start. Two metal doors offered us two options, maintenance or atrium. My eyes forward sparkle was clear of any red. For that matter, it was completely clear of anything other than my two companions. There was no life in the stable, at least not within the range of my pitbuck spell. The stable was utterly silent, save for the ever-present high-pitched hum of the lights and the gentle rumble of the generators. This place is a tomb, Calamity voiced. Maintenance should take us directly to the pitbuck technician stall, but the atrium would lead to the clinic, and we were in desperate need of medical supplies. On the off chance there was something lurking in Stable 29, we needed the medical supplies before we did any wandering. I passed my logic by Velvet Remedy and Calamity, and they both agreed. Calamity was wincing as the hoof on his injured leg brushed the floor. I stepped forward, and the door to the atrium slid up. Stepping in, my eyes immediately fell onto the skeletons of at least three dozen other ponies. They were strewn about the room, but the highest concentration was right at my hooves. I had to use telekinesis to create a path through the bones of the ponies lucky enough to have made it into a stable before the mega spell destroyed Manhattan. I felt anger biting at the back of my head. I reminded myself that it wasn't my stable. There was a lot of other debris in the atrium as well. Bottles of beer and whiskey scotch and wine, most of them empty and many shattered. Dresses and gentle pony wear turned greasy with decay. In the far back, a sound system was riddled with bullet holes. Do you think they... Velvet's voice trailed off. She was looking behind us, just above the door where we had come through. Two automated security turrets were mounted on the wall. They had power, but didn't seem to be tracking us. My EFS claimed they were not a threat. The room suggested they had not always been the case. I looked up towards the circular window of the Overmare's office, only there wasn't one. The wall was blank and featureless where that window should be. The stairwell that should lead up to the security centre in Overmare's offices was there, but it was simply labelled security. I found myself getting irrationally upset at the incorrectness of the stable's design. Again. Behind me, I heard Calamity whispering to Velvet... She's had bad reactions to a stable before. What, was I that obvious? We better keep an eye on her. Oh, perfect. They were going to be my parents. Ah. Okay, well, there doesn't seem to be any immediate danger. We should split up to save time. Velvet, why don't you raid the clinic? It was safe. I could see into the clinic through the atrium window. Calamity and I will head down to maintenance. Velvet Remedy argued. No. Calamity should stay with me. I barely kept myself from stomping. Velvet Remedy continued simply. 
I want to mend that leg as soon as possible. I can use my magic to heal the bone once I have it set properly. Fine, I groused mentally. Then, sounding as pleasant as I could, Of course, no problem. I don't need any help finding a pitback technician stall anyway. That is, assuming any of the rest of this place isn't laid out bizarrely. I'll be back before you're done. I started to trot back through the door. Velvet Remedy stopped me with a soft voice. Little Pip, are you all right? I waved a hoof. Oh, yes, I'm just feeling a little drained. Blood loss, you know. I put on a good smile. She looked like she was trying to be convinced. Okay, I'm a bit surprised, but I'm happy. It's a good thing that my two friends like each other. Calamity coughed. Wait, what? He nickered. She's a self-righteous, self-idolized elitist who'd rather fix up her enemies than shoot them. Velvet Remedy shot him a scowl. And he is an impulsive ruffian who thinks he can fix the wasteland by drowning it in blood. By the goddess, could they be any more obvious? I left before I screamed. I spent the rest of the trip down through stable maintenance reminding myself that it was actually a good thing that my friends got along. That it was stupid to be jealous when I'd had no real chance to begin with. And that if I wanted to keep those friends, I'd best bury these feelings in that same dark hole. I wondered just how long this had been going on. Was it new? Had there been signs that I was too oblivious to catch? Or as I just not wanted to catch them? The idea of catching them brought an unwanted mental image of Velvet and Calamity to mind that I quickly shredded and burned. This was going to be hard. You know what would make being cheerful for them easy? A little pony in my head waved a tin at me. Fuck that little pony. I wanted to wallow just a little longer. A little light appeared on my EFS compass. It was not hostile. Did one of them come down here after me? If so, how did they get ahead of me? A moment later, a maintenance bot hovered out of one of the stalls, its multiple limbs bobbing along as it cleaned the wall. No wonder this place looked spotless. I felt a spark of annoyance that we didn't have a wall-washing robot in Stable 2 maintenance. I'd had to wash the walls above my stall by hoof. The robot started to clean in my direction. I decided to get out of its way by ducking into the robotics technician stall. The room was filled with maintenance bots in various stages of disrepair. There were enough tools in here to upgrade Calamity's workshop plans. I began looting. The robotics technician's back office had been burned black. I found the charred skeletons of two ponies along with a partially dismantled medical bot. From the looks of it, some pony had made a fatal error while working on it, causing the sanitary flamethrower to go off wildly. The maintenance bot passed by in the hall. At the back of the burned office was a safe. The paint on the wall around it bubbled and peeling. The safe itself had feared nothing from the fire. I slipped up my screwdriver in a bobby pin, only to discover the safe wasn't locked. Already in a bad mood, I felt cheated. Inside was a flask of apple whiskey, a pouch of 200-year-old, old-fashioned gourmet honey drops, a tin of sadly normal mintals, several maintenance clipboards and a recording. Leaving the clipboards, I downloaded the recording into my pit buck and gave it a listen. This is Mender, reporting on diagnostic process for Callikin's household utility bot. Stayed up all night probing through this thing's programming. Wanted to have this report ready in time for the funeral. From what I can tell, it looks like the robot suffered a glitch while receiving an automated update on its subroutines from Stable Tech. 
That's the only explanation I have on how it gave Kanakin a cup of steaming hot industrial solvent rather than coffee. All those pony folk who whispered old Kanakin was going to drink himself to death are probably choking on their words right now. If not, they should be. I saw the poor fellow before they incinerated him. His whole mouth and throat were eaten away. I've had nightmares about it for days. I plan to talk to Shadowhorn later today. I want all these house helpers to be shut down until we can check each one of them. Of course, that's going to take some doing, and a lot of time. I know it's uncomely of me to use Kanakin's death to push my own agenda, but this is just another example of why I think we need an instable authority. How can the ponies of Stable Tech possibly expect to properly govern the stable if they're not here, seeing what's going on? That was unexpected and gruesome. I tried to shove the mental image of Kanakin out of my head, centering my thoughts instead on the idea of a stable without an overmare at all. A stable run remotely by Stable Tech. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Pitbuck Technician stall was right where it was supposed to be. I was surprised, relieved, and a touch annoyed that I should feel either. The technician's master spell matrix key was locked away in a cabinet along with a dozen other enchanted precision tools that mere apprentices like myself were not allowed access to. I floated out my screwdriver and bobby pin once more. A few minutes later, my armoured utility barding was fully loaded with everything I could need for advanced pick-up repair. At least in theory, everything necessary to restore the flow of magical power to Steelhoof's armour. And just in case, I packed several spark batteries in a small magical field conducting array. The office of this stable's head technician had lacked the hammock that had so often bore my teacher's weight back in stable too. I shook my head, giving the stall one more look before leaving to rejoin my friends. I spotted an audio journal amongst the items scattered across the technician's desk. Sit here and play the journal, or trot back to find a velvet remedy in calamity. Together. Hopefully not kissing. Okay, journal it was. Shadowhorn called us into a meeting this morning. We nearly had a major disaster yesterday. That idiot Buckbright built his cult a BB gun for his birthday. Then he brought the kid down to the reactor level for target practice. What was he thinking? Kid missed a radroach and punched a small hole in the environmental system. Actually managed to nick the water talisman. Thankfully it's working fine. But another half inch and the whole stable would be in serious trouble. As head of maintenance, Shadowhorn laid down a whole new series of safety protocols. They aren't official until she gets them passed through Stable Tech, but we're going to follow them anyway. If Stable Tech doesn't like some pony giving the orders for them, 
or they can trot themselves down here and say differently. Velvet Remedy pushed three jars of extra-strength restoration potion over to me. Drink these. You'll be in perfect health in ten minutes. I was shocked. Shouldn't we take these with us? Use them sparingly? Velvet Remedy shook her head. She was looking a lot better. She had stowed away her dress and removed her bandages. Her hide was perfect. Her coat looked pristine and healthy. She had a couple IV bags draped over her haunches, with surgical tubing running to a spot beneath her left shoulder. No need. I've already stored a dozen more away for our travels. Plus plenty of bandages, some braces, blood packs and more. For the first time, we're positively flush with medical supplies. I'd say this clinic was a gift from the goddesses, but I know better. I raised an eyebrow as I floated the first potion to my lips. Velvet Remedy slid me a recording. I found this while I was requisitioning supplies. I smirked at her reluctance to call it looting or scavenging. I downed two of the extra-strength restoration potions and slipped the third into my saddlebags. Memories of Velvet, her hide shredded and bloodied, had resurfaced in my mind. I could handle being mostly healed if it meant I had one of these ready in case of an emergency. Calamity was also looking much better. He complained that after Velvet Remedy's mending spell, the brace wasn't really necessary, but she insisted he keep it on for at least another day. I walked about the clinic, looking for a good spot to sit down and listen to the recording. I frowned at it, expecting bad things. Recordings so rarely carried good things in the equestrian wasteland, especially, it seemed, in stables. I found a chemistry lab in the back of the clinic. For a moment... All thoughts of the recording fled my mind. Looking over the drugs and supplies, I realised that along with what I had already, I had all the ingredients to cook up my own batch of party-time mentals. And having the ability, and opportunity, I couldn't resist it. It would have been silly to. As I started work, I remembered why I had come back here. I let the recording play as I ground down the regular, boring old mentals into a fine powder. Oh... The voice was so filled with raw despair that I quickly shut the recording off. I didn't want to hear that. I concentrated on my chem cooking for several long minutes, the recording just sitting there on the counter, staring balefully at me. Finally, with a huff, I turned it back on. How could this have happened? The doctor and I just stepped out for a few minutes. When we came back, the clinic had sealed itself and the fire suppression system had activated flooding the entire clinic with... with... It took us over an hour to get it open again. We tried breaking through the window, but it's armoured. Why would they armour the window? Every pony inside had choked to death. Lemongrass had only been in there to have her stitches out. She was planning her daughter's cutesinera this evening, and I'd been talking to me about what flavour of cake to get from the dispensers. The orange's new cult was still in the clinic nursery. Oh, gosh! I don't think anybody's told them yet. I shut it off again. My heart was twisted up in knots. Part of me wanted to cry. Part wanted to rage at something. But there wasn't anything obvious to rage at. So I raged at the faucet, beating my hooves against it for refusing to give me water. It was stupid, but it felt good. Finally, after pouring water from my canteen, I finished mixing the concoction and set it to bake. The sound of machine gun fire snapped my attention away. All throughout of the journals, mentals and chemistry evaporated when I heard Velvet Remedy cry out. My friends were in trouble. 
As I turned, two red spots lit up on my EFS compass. The turrets had become hostile. Dashing back into the central clinic, I saw Calamity and Velvet ducking under an overturned medical bench as the two turrets outside, above the now-closed door, peppered the glass window. Pockmarks and spiderweb cracks covered every inch of it, the armoured glass about to give. Floating out little Macintosh, I positioned myself where I would be able to target both of them the instant the glass came down. I didn't have much cover, but if I was fast and just a little lucky, I wouldn't need it. The window broke apart in a tinkling cascade. I felt the first bullet slam into my chest, not quite punching through my armour. As I girded myself with sats and targeted both turrets twice, a second bullet ripped through my foreleg between my pitbuck and my knee as I fired off the first shot, and the second. The first turret exploded. The second swept its arc of bullets away from Calamity and Velvet Remedy and towards me. One last bullet struck my side, bouncing off the handle of my combat shotgun with a loud crack as the second turret exploded. I collapsed, suddenly realising that I was again in a truly bad amount of pain. But this time I had no worries at all. I had Calamity and Velvet Remedy right nearby, and we were in a clinic. If I had to be shot, I couldn't think of a better place or better company. But as soon as I hit the floor, I struggled back to my hooves. Ignoring my injuries, limping, bleeding badly, I tried to push back towards the chemistry lab. I had to make sure my party-time mentals didn't overcook. Now that my friends were safe, my mind locked on what had become a decidedly second but still important priority. The atrium door had closed and locked. We were sealed inside. It was more of an aggravation than a real worry. I knew that I should be able to override every door in this place from the security station, but reaching it meant getting past several more points where the suddenly trigger-happy security system could attack us. I looked to my companions. By now, I was beginning to think of us as seasoned warriors of the wasteland. Well, at least Calamity and I. I hadn't been out here long, but the time had been forging fire if there ever was one. A few turrets shouldn't pose much of a threat to the Slayers of Dragons. I quickly checked myself. That kind of thought was dangerous. The last thing I needed was to start buying into the hype and the radio. Velvet Remedy was looking at me sadly. I think I was fast enough, but I was guessing that she suspected what I was up to in the chemistry lab. She hadn't taken her eyes off me since, and the reproachful look was burning into my soul. Calamity was gazing over something on the wall. At first, I assumed it was another pre-war poster. He was studying it with the same intensity that Velvet Remedy usually reserved for anything involving the Ministry of Peace. But as I moved closer, still slightly limping on my own mended and bandaged leg, I saw that it was a map of the stable. My eyes followed the path up to the stairs of the security station. The armory was up there, as well as a series of rooms that in a proper stable would have been the overseer's personal and family quarters. Here, it was labelled as VIP, very important ponies' rooms. There was a big area of absolutely nothing where the overseer's office was supposed to be. My brow furrowed. I really hate these stables. Velvet Remedy was looking over the skeletons, while keeping me within her line of sight. Was... was the other one you found this bad? Worse, neighed Calamity. We moved towards the stairs, stopping at a bulletin board covered in the usual notices. I shrank back. Some pony had written, Stop killing us! across the board in what looked like blood. Oh my, Velvet whispered. To my surprise, she magically tugged one of the notices on the board, 
floating it closer for inspection. The notice had been between a posting of new safety regulations and a flyer for two missing fillies whose smiling face had stared into an atrium of corpses for centuries. The bottom part of the N was painted on the sheet Velvet had taken. I stared from the bulletin board to her, wondering how by Luna's mane she could find anything more noteworthy than the giant plea for mercy written in a dying pony's own bodily fluids. Velvet Remedy turned the flyer so that Calamity and I could see. Third month survival party. Tonight in the atrium. 10 o'clock to 16 o'clock. Stable 29's own vinyl scratch hosting. Alcohol will be provided after 12. Calamity whistled, tilting up his hat. Vinyl scratch. The original DJ Pone 3. At least according to some. So she survived the Manhattan Belfar bomb after all. I shot Calamity a look that suggested he needed to revisit his definition of survived. I really hated these stables. Between stealth and little Macintosh, the other turrets proved little threat. I reloaded as we pushed into the security station. I sat down to hack the terminal, trying to be respectful as I floated the pony skeleton off of it and laid it down in the corner near the others. Velvet Remedy had begun saying prayers over them. Calamity trotted to the armory in the vain hope he could open it without my skills. Discovering he couldn't, he turned away with a disappointed expression. I waited until he took a step away before opening the door remotely from the easily hacked terminal. He jumped, then shot me a grin and disappeared inside. A petty but good-natured revenge. I was still smelling carrots. I turned back to see a huge mass of security logs. Tentatively, I brought up one of the later ones. Entry 67. This is insane. Over half of the population is dead. At first, we thought there were freak accidents, but now it's clearly malevolent. It's like the stable itself has turned against us. Yesterday, the school sealed itself and plasma was vented into the room. Twenty-three colts and fillies were just murdered horribly, their bodies literally melting away. We could hear their screams. My, my nephew was in the class. He'd just gotten his cutie mark. He was going to grow up to be an artist. My sister can't stop crying. She's locked herself in our room with all the pictures she has of him. Some pony has to be responsible for this. Some pony has to pay. I found myself shaking, and not from pain. I commanded the security terminal to play another of the older ones. Shadowhorn passed away last night from complications after being nearly electrocuted early yesterday morning while trying to access the junk room behind a security panel with her pit buck. This is so soon after Bugbite and his son were killed in that accident with the lift. The stable's a death trap. I hit another. Entry 72. It's Stable Tech. It has to be. Those fuckers at Stable Tech have locked us all in their little fucking death maze and are killing us off. It's not even one by one anymore. They're slaughtering us in groups. What kind of sadistic bastards could do this? They've killed children. Do they realise that we're the only chance for pony kind? These stables are supposed to save us. What kind of evil saddle fuckers play murder games with the last surviving members of their own fucking species? We can't even guess at them. It's all done remotely. I brought up the next one, ignoring Velvet Remedy's plea for me to stop. Entry 73. Ha! Ha! The joke's on us, isn't it? It occurs to me that we don't actually know if the mega spells went off. We believe the world has been destroyed because that's what Stable Tech told us to believe. But what if it's not? All of Equestrians just go on about their daily lives in the sunny world above us while we scream and cry and die down here in some depraved amusement for the sick, soulless ponies at Stable Tech. It's the only thing that makes even a breath of sense in this horror.
I reached to trigger another when Velvet Remedy physically pulled me away from the terminal. What? I yelled in pure rage, my body shaking so hard I felt it would explode. Little Pip, she said, and I realised she was crying. You need to stop. Calamity and Velvet sent me off to look over the last two rooms, the VIP rooms, while they turned off the security systems and opened all the doors. That was good. They wanted me to catch my breath, calm down. I wanted to find a place away from them and something to violently destroy. I was seeing red like never before, and I couldn't even attack the source of my anger because they were all dead. Dead decades and centuries ago. My body hadn't stopped shaking. The first room had a banner lit up above it. Vinyl Scratch. This was her room then. The original DJ Pone 3. I stepped forward and the door slid open. The room inside had been untouched since the night of the party. Three months after the door of Stable 29 closed, trapping every pony inside. I walked about, staring. Stacks of records, turntables, recording equipment. A rather luxurious, if small space, to eat and sleep. A private lavatory with a full-body bath. I could throw quite the rage in here. The records would shatter beneath my hooves quite enjoyably, but I couldn't do that. Destroying the things that had been loved by the ponies who lived here, ever so briefly, didn't feel like railing against the vile ponies who had created this place. Rather, it would be a continuation of their work. Instead, I collected a few records, slipping them into my saddlebags. When I returned to the others, I would have Velvet Remedy lock them in one of her medical boxes where they would be safe from bullet fire. I still remembered that apple. There was a safe in the room. I hesitated. Somehow it felt a little odd breaking into the safe of a celebrity, even a long dead one. But with a long breath, I brought out my tools and set to work. Inside, I found an old child's toy, several framed photographs and a handful of posters, and one box that looked like it had been rescued from a fire. Inside, there were four memory orbs. One caught my eye. It was labelled Pinkie Pie's Last Party. I took it, slipping it into my saddlebags and walked to the next room. The sign over the door announced Shadowhorn. The mayor in charge of maintenance was a VIP in the stable? Even in the midst of my barely reigned fury at stable tech, my pure hatred towards whom could not be told, part of my brain recognised that that seemed odd. The door slid open for me and I stepped in. The room was more dishevelled. There were parts and scrap metal everywhere. Half-finished projects covered the table. Schematics of different stable systems were pinned to the wall. One of them had been torn away to reveal the room's safe. Once again, I set to work. When the safe opened, it revealed another recording. This one looked startlingly similar to the one I found in the Overstallion's office. I needed to hear it, but part of my mind screamed for me not to. I didn't pay attention to that voice. Instead, I played the message, and another familiar voice burst into life around the tomb of Stable 29. The voice sounded determined, but weary and filled with sadness. She sounded like she was reading a script that she had grown to hate. Hello, Shadowhorn. The following is for your ears only. I'm speaking to you because you've been selected for a very important job, due to your sense of loyalty and duty to both this company and the ponies around you. My name is Scootaloo. You probably know me. Oh, who cares? I'm sick of these things. Try that again. Hello, my name is Scootaloo. I'm the Vice President of Stable Tech. If you're hearing this, that means that the Omega Level Threat Protocols have been enacted and the citizens of Equestria, chosen for the Stable 29, have been safely sealed inside the most state-of-the-art apocalypse survival facility ever created. 
I'm very sorry. I wish there was more we could do. Hell, I wish this whole thing could have been prevented. But instead, it falls to us to save who we can and try to prevent it from ever happening again. To that end, your stable has been selected to participate in a vital social project. The first goal of Stable 29, like any other, is to save the lives of the ponies inside. But... But... There is a higher purpose to your stable. Beyond saving individual ponies, we here at Stable Tech understand that it doesn't do pony kind any good to save ourselves now, only to annihilate each other later. We must figure out where we went wrong. We must find a better way. And we must be ready to implement it as soon as possible once the stable doors open and survive what our current leaders managed to do to Equestria. Damn it! How do we come to this? Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! We... Uh, I guess we came to this maybe because we're ponies. We try our best, we have the best intentions, but when things go wrong we get flustered or confused, or upset or angry. Our ability to make smart decisions is impaired the most when we need it the most. Bad decisions, emotional decisions, They've dragged us into a war no pony wanted. They've pushed us to the brink of extinction. And if you're listening to this beyond, damn it all to hell. Damn us all to hell. Uh, sorry, I hate this whole thing. I wish the world was the way it was when I was back at Philly. But wishes are just wishes. Damn it, I can't seem to get through one of these without going wildly off track. I'm sure you're wondering what, if anything, does this have to do with you? Why am I telling you this? Don't worry, there's actually a point. This isn't just the rantings of some stable tech pony who has already died, haven't I? This stable has a very exceptional design. Despite the official documents, this stable has no remote connection to stable tech whatsoever. Instead, replacing the normal overmare position, we've fitted Stable 29 with a Crusader-class computer system. The Crusader-class mainframe is the most advanced supercomputer ever created by Ponykind, using the greatest available improvements in Arcano technology. The Crusader is capable of independent thought, creativity and learning. We've only ever built three of these, and the other two are currently in the possession of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences and the Ministry of Awesome, respectively. The goal of this social experiment is to remove the emotional, fallible pony from the equation, to see if we can do better through a pragmatic and logical system of government that's not subject to our own faults. As always, just in case something goes wrong, there is a backup. And that backup is you. Provided with this recording are the codes to shut down the Crusader mainframe in case of an emergency. Doing so will, unfortunately, also shut down all the automated systems. So this should only be done in a matter of life and death for the general population of the stable. There is an access junction between the security station and the VIP rooms through which you can access the Crusader mainframe. As a last resort, the programming of a Crusader mainframe can also be entirely overwritten via magically transfer mapping the brain of a pony into the mainframe itself. This would allow you to effectively become the Crusader, taking control of the automated systems yourself. However, this is untested, and the effects on the pony initiating this transfer are unknown. So I really, really don't suggest it. In any other circumstances, however, it's crucial that you keep up to the ruse, as per the directives provided. Thank you from all of us, from all of Equestria. Best of luck, and may Stable 29 and all its ponies live long and well. Finding a security access junction was easy. 
I was replaying the message again, this time in my ear bloom. It made no sense, but it had the singular benefit of not being overwhelmingly evil. I had to know more. Pulling away the security panel, I found a maze of tubes and wiring and set to it. A small, yellow-orange box with a black jackpoint. It struck me that the last pony to try this was effectively electrocuted. Hooking my own pitbuck into the junction could be a death sentence. Fortunately, I had another option. I pulled out Velvet Remedy's pitbuck for the first time since shortly after I had found her. It was a thing of beauty, but I realised it had a less pleasant meaning to her. Holding it by levitation only, I jacked her custom pitbuck into the junction. Minutes later, I was looking through streams of data. One string caught my eye. Error detected. Water talisman functioning at 98% capacity. Analyzing damage. Chance of restoring water talisman to full functionality, 0%. Analyzing options. Surface radiation level, 1,300% above survivable level. Preservation of pony life requires water rationing and 0.02 reduction of stable population. Initializing water rationing. Analyzing population for most expendable, 0.02%. Initiating population reduction. The strength went out of me. I stared at what I was reading, my rage melting into cold despair. There were many more strings of similar data. Over the course of a season, the damaged water talisman continued to deteriorate, and every time the degradation reached a new threshold, the crusader running Stable 29 culled a portion of the population in a coldly calculated attempt to preserve pony life in the stable as a whole. After three months, the water talisman failed altogether. The crusader acted accordingly to preserve pony life. I poured what was left of a bottle of apple whiskey down my throat, enjoying the burn. The rage had drained from me, replaced by a numbness that was even worse. I decided to escape this horrible place through the memory orb, at least for a little while. Setting it down gently, I focused my magic on the orb. Instantly, I was overwhelmed by bright flashes, a horrible thudding roar and gut-wrenching nausea. The memory orb had decayed somehow, and I was trapped inside a nightmare of sensory feedback and vertigo. I tried to escape, but there was no way out. Then the world righted itself, but it wasn't my world. I was quite certain that I had vomited all over myself, but I wasn't myself, so I couldn't tell. All around me spanned a massive party. Coloured lights, festive decorations, and a dance beat that grasped hold of your soul and made you want to move. I was at the turntables, bobbing my head to the beat, and everywhere, ponies. Ponies dancing, ponies eating, ponies doing things in corners and behind potted plants that would make their parents blush and faint. A gracefully ageing, light brew pegasus pony with rainbow-coloured hair fluttered towards the turntables with a slight swagger and a looking a bit sloshed. Awesome beat vinyl scratch, she grinned. Your rhythms always make for the best parties. She wore her years well. Must have been a damn cutie in her youth. I wanted her hair. And, wah, was Vinyl Scratch checking her out? She had my gaze going up and down. No, wait, that's just head bobbing. Yeah, said a familiar looking orange pony with a cow pony hat on her yellow mane, and red ribbons in her tail that matched her three apple cutie mark. She was significantly older than her statuette portrayed. She looked even older than in the news article, and had not aged quite so gracefully. I wondered if her looks were more from stress than years. Flourish and rarity are going to be hating that they missed this. Her accent reminded me a lot of calamity. The orange earth pony sauntered up to the turntables. 
looking at the blue pegasus who swayed slightly as she smiled back. Are you safe to fly home, Rainbow? Oh, hell no! The rainbow-maned pegasus clopped the orange one on the shoulder. I have not left one of Pinkie Pie's parties safe to fly in nearly twenty years now! The orange pony gave her an odd look. You ain't tried any of the harder stuff, have you? Hell no! Rainbow Dash stomped her hoof as she repeated herself. You know, she dropped her voice, which had been getting loud. I don't touch any of that stuff. She held her hoof to her breast with a slightly wobbly pride. Rainbow Dash doesn't need any enhancements. The orange pony looked relieved. I realised there was looking at the mysterious mayor of the Ministry of Awesome. The only one whose rebellion gave Calamity his title of Dashite. I didn't know what to think. Although I had to admit, she certainly had the right hair. I've heard they've got stuff back there called Dash, Rainbow Dash said conspiratorially, which Piggy says would make me even faster. She landed with a heroic stance, her voice filling with extra bravado. Of course, I don't do that stuff, AJ. Dash on Dash? That wouldn't just break the laws of Equestria, that would break the laws of physics. An apple green coated stallion trotted up and whispered something in the ear of the orange pony apparently named AJ. Rainbow Dash stopped with a stare. So, AJ, who's the new buck? You don't have to ask like that, AJ bristled. Oh, if you wanted some company. Rainbow Dash clopped the orange pony on her cutie mark. You could have just asked me. The earth pony fixed Rainbow Dash with a look. My bandar don't swing that way. Something stirred in me, and neither does yours. The stirring died. You're drunk. The orange pony added, unnecessarily but accurately, stepping out of the way of a green mare whose plate was loaded with cakes. Rainbow Dash just giggled. So, are you going to introduce me to your new buck friend or not? AJ rolled her eyes before introducing him. This is Sergeant Steelhoof's Apple Snack. Serve with Big Macintosh. Apples, dear. This is Rainbow Dash. The old friend I, what, told you about. No. Way. No way! Rainbow Dash echoed my thoughts, then proceeded to derail them. You're dating a buck named Applesnack? The Pegasus, who had just begun to fly again, collapsed on the floor, rolling in laughter. The elderly orange earth pony rolled her eyes, not looking at her laughing companion. She nickered. Don't hurt yourself. Somewhere else in the room, an argument had broken out. Applejack and Applesnack! <laughs> Rainbow Dash tried to get up again, but broke down in a fresh wave of laughter. Oh, it hurts too much! I was thinking that his title had to be a coincidence. I'd know for sure from his voice, but so far he hadn't said anything. He was watching his date's old friend with a gracious, wry amusement. My sight was torn away from the two as Vinyl Scratch looked up at the balcony, where the argument I'd barely noticed earlier was beginning to draw every pony's attention. I immediately recognised Pinkie Pie, although the purple unicorn who was trotting determinedly away from her was not familiar. Not this again! said Pinkie Pie, bouncing after her. You wouldn't expect me to bake a cupcake without tasting it to make sure it's good, would you? I'm leaving, she said. I shouldn't have come. She was barely audible through the clamour of the party. Pinkie Pie's voice, however, could have somehow be heard clearly over the intense rock music. Oh, don't be like that, Twilight. It's a party! Have fun! She sang it like a mantra. The unicorn glared forward ignoring her until the surprisingly bouncy pony dropped herself right in front of the purple unicorn. Have fun, have fun, have fun, have fun! She sang it like a mantra. The unicorn stopped, one forehoof off the ground, 
and stared. She seemed to struggle with an inner urge. For a moment, a vent could have gone either way. But then she stomped the hoof down. I'm not having fun, Pinkie Pie, she said, her voice dangerous and loud. And do you want to know a secret? Neither are you. Pinkie Pie giggled. Of course I'm having fun. There's cake and ice cream and cupcakes and the best party music and drinks and party favours. And these? The unicorn floated a tin off a nearby table. I knew immediately what they were. Yep, especially those. The pink pony was nearly beaming. I heard Applejack groan next to me. Twilight opened the tin, then turned it over, spilling party-time mintals all over the floor. Some bounced over the side of the balcony, some down the stairs. The pink pony gasped and jumped for them, scooping them up. Part of me wanted to join her, but I was just along for the ride. I'm sick of lying for you. Twilight scolded loudly. For covering for you with the princess. Every pony is. And I'm not going to do it anymore. Pinky looked up with a glare as she picked up her party-time mentals. You didn't have to do that, you witchy-twitchy rhymes with itchy. You're not a party pony anymore, Pinky. You're just an addict. Just like half the ponies at your parties. The purple unicorn stared at the pink pony, unleashing a level of mad that had clearly been building up for some time. Well, this is it. I want my old friend back. I want my Pinkie Pie. You are not her. But if you should happen to find her, have her give me a call. The song ended. The beat stopped. The whole room fell into silence. Twy? No. Don't twy me. It won't work this time. Either clean up and fess up. The unicorn took a deep breath, clenching her own eyes against what she was about to say. Or this friendship is over. Twilight turned and walked away. The pink pony seemed to deflate. Even her hair fell limp. Beside me, Applejack moaned again. Oh gosh, Twy. Rainbow Dash, who had long stopped laughing, flapped her wings. She's kind of right. And then the blue Pegasus slowly flew towards the exit. She still beat Twilight out the door. Twilight turned back, looking not quite at Pinkie Pie. In a voice I'm not sure reached the balcony, she said, If you decide to be my Pinkie Pie again, really do, and need help, you know where to call. Then she walked out the door into what looked like a rainy Manhattan night. It swung shut behind her. One thought hit me as I collapsed from the memory like I'd been kicked in the stomach. I had, in fact, vomited on myself. Leaning against the wall, I assured myself, I'm not that bad. But I have to be careful with you, I said to the party time bintels in my saddlebags. I can't let Calamity or Velvet Remedy get to thinking I have a problem with you. I don't want to lose my friends because they think I'm addicted. Footnote. Level up. New perk. Tough hide. Level one. The brutal experiences of the equestrian wasteland have hardened you. You gain plus three to damage threshold for each level of this perk you take. <laughs> Fucking stable tech. I remember going into one stable where they'd segregated unicorns and earth ponies from each other. 
told the other side that each was out to get each other. Fuckers have torn each other apart. Just a small group of really, really fucked up unicorns survived. Nearly tried to kill my friends and I when we get into the place. <sighs> what to play, what to play. Oh, I know. Here's the Wanderer from Skybolt. Enjoy, people. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 